Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Well, I want to welcome everyone back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I have here today a wonderful guest. Some of you might remember her. I believe it was episode 72 in the early, early, early days of the COVID-19 pandemic that I actually had Esther on with two other guests. They were all in different segments to talk to us about how people should respond. Um, And one of the things she talked about was uh, what she was doing with her kids and how people, uh, what what you're going to be doing now that uh, your kids are going to be home all the time. But you know, we mostly talked a lot about her expertise in that area and other areas, also how to help small businesses and uh, in those early days. And a lot of your stuff became really, really relevant, Esther. But this is Esther Davey uh, coming to us from Colorado. Esther, thanks for being back on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you so much for having me again, Francisco. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, Esther, um, so you're you're here, and um, what what I really want to uh, reintroduce you to our audience is now you are the founder and tell me your title that you like to go by, Chief Strategy Chief Officer, Strategist, <laughs> Chief Strategist, Founder and Chief Strategist of Esther Davy Strategies, and so we're going to get a little bit more into that, and that's a somewhat recent development, but uh, mm-hmm. Esther. Uh, like me, I think you grew up, at least spent some of your childhood uh, in Florida. Tell us a little bit about where you were born and raised and and some of the places you lived during um, your childhood and teenage years. Absolutely. Um, yes, Florida was a big chunk of that. My dad actually was a Navy pilot. He flew the A6 Intruder for almost 20 years. And during that time, we moved around a lot, as you can imagine, being a military family uh, stationed at different different bases all across the country. Um, I was actually born outside of Seattle in Oak Harbor, Washington, and lived there for a few years, learned to ski, learned to love the mountains, and spent some time in California, and then again outside of Atlanta. And this was all in my you know early early days. Um, and then when I was ten, we moved to Ocala, Florida. So kind of it was kind of the sticks back then. Now it's much more developed. Um, but yeah, so I went to kind of middle school, high school, and then the University of Florida there at um, Gainesville. And then um, yeah, I mean it's a long story, but I met and married my husband who was an army ranger and we ended up moving around the southeast a lot. So I have some strong ties to Florida. My parents and my in-laws still live there. Well, that's wonderful. And now you're out in Golden, Colorado. I know the beautiful mountains. Uh, one thing that I uh, I love Florida, as everybody knows, born and raised here. But uh, one thing that's missing in Florida is the mountains. So I love going out and visiting Colorado. One of my brothers who actually graduated from University of Florida as well and (laughs) now lives uh, just outside the Boulder, Colorado area. So um, at least when I get out there, I can visit him and and visit you. And we had a nice visit last year as well when we brought some people together uh, for for dinner there in Denver um, as part of the Fearless Journeys community. But... Esther, so let me let me ask you, what was your first job in life? 
Yeah, I <laughs> I was 14 and I got a job working at a kid's entertainment complex, so like an arcade, but it also had laser tag and a rock wall. My My older siblings had taught me to rock climb a bit. And so I was doing like pizza parties and making smoothies. And um, my favorite part was when I got to hook the kids up to the rock wall and let them, you know, try and get their way up to the top. That's fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, by the way, those things are, are a blast. And uh, and so so a little bit later, obviously, you go to you go to University of Florida. Mm -hmm. What was you, you mentioned? You met your husband. He was mm -hmm. in the military, an army ranger. Uh, God bless him for his service. I know that's a really Thank you. Uh, uh, dedicated service there to be an army ranger as well. And you're now a military spouse. So uh, your your work is pretty cut out for you as well. And a lot of things you've got to deal with. I should also mention if I didn't already, you're a mother of three children, I think mm -hmm. all under the age of about six and a half. Is that right? Yeah, six and a half, four and a half. And my son just turned two. So that's we great. have a full house. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was set up by my husband with my husband and it was one of those like whirlwind romances. I knew I was going to marry him on our third date and on a, it took him like nine months to figure it out. I don't know what his problem was, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so we got married a year later, you know, it was really fast, but when, when guys are in the army and you grow up really fast, um, I was still in college. So I finished my degree while he was deployed to Iraq. And then we sort of met up in Washington, D.C., where he was uh, stationed after his deployment and started my career there. Um, so we were there for about four years and it was loved the city, especially in your early 20s. There's so much fun things to do, but it was a very um, it felt to me, I should say, as a very like status oriented city. And we just really love the outdoors and family and wanted to have a little more focus on those things outside of just our careers. So when he got out of the service, we're like, where do we want to live? The government's not telling us where we have to live, which I mean, for me, that was the first time that ever happened to me in my life. Um, and we, we chose Colorado. We had come out here to, to vacation, um, to ski and to hike. And then, we just figured, why why don't we move to the place where we vacation? Um, and it's been amazing. We moved here nine and a half years ago. We knew we would love the outdoors, but what really shocked me was how welcoming the business community was and how friendly everyone was and cooperative and, and willing to introduce you to people. And that was just really evidenced by the gathering that you put together last year when you came to town and just the really intelligent, smart, capable business people that we have in this city, but that also care about things outside of work, the community. They also care about nature and it's, it's a really cool place to be. Yeah, it is beautiful. And you know, something you said, uh, you're an outsider to Colorado and I believe every single person at that dinner last year, of course, there was a couple of us who were just in town for a few days visiting, but I think everybody, nobody there was a native of Colorado. Yeah. Uh, some of them had been there 10, 15 years, maybe close to 20 years, but mm -hmm. none of them had actually been born there. So that was super interesting. It literally, mm -hmm. literally reminds me a little bit of Florida. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. there's so many people here not born here as well. And you get, we get a lot of snowbirds and people from, you know, everywhere in the world. But Colorado's 
a lot like that in, in many ways as well, where people are moving there. And part of it is probably for the same reason you did. Why mm -hmm. not go where we vacation, right? Beautiful place. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, that was a lot of it. We wanted some place where we could really put down roots. Um, I was 26 when we moved to Colorado and it was the 13th city that I'd ever lived in, but no joke. It was the first place I ever felt at home. So when we got here and just got established here and started feeling that I was like, this is my place. This is my people. And I really want to invest in the community here in the business side. And then of course, just in our friendship circles. So almost a decade ago, you didn't have any uh, family there, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe any friends or anything, but you just wanted to go where you vacation. So what kind of careers, I know you said your husband was in the military. I don't know what he was doing at the time, if he could be based anywhere. And then what were you doing or what did you get into once you got to Colorado uh, in terms of your career? Yeah. So he had just gotten out of the service. And um, so he wasn't in the army when we moved here. So we had just separated from the military, but he went into like business management operations side. So now he's runs a distribution center. Um, he's in charge of a distribution center here, but so he's on the business operation side. I have always been in sales. So for the last 12 years, I have been a sales professional for manufacturing companies so they've been different furniture manufacturers in the commercial realm. So that's been really great because it's allowed me to use my commercial interior architecture degree from the University of Florida and really um, implement it in a way that really is impactful to the employee and whoever is using that space. So hold on, this is interesting because a lot of people hear me um, always talk about how so many people, especially entrepreneurs, aren't even using the degree of which they went to college for. A lot of entrepreneurs that I've had on here maybe didn't even go to college or somewhere halfway through college. They went on some other trajectory and they mm -hmm. never even went back for a degree and they went off. And, you know, I always preach this learn by doing, not necessarily, you know, in the classroom. Even, you know, I teach some classes at a university, uh, Francisco Marroquin in Guatemala City. Uh, I've done that a little bit. I even tell my students, you know, you're learning doesn't end at the uh, at, at graduation, it only begins, but they're there uh, getting higher education, but you've actually used your degree for the career you're in. Uh, tell us about why you chose that degree, what, what maybe brought you interest in it, and then that path to actually using it and how it uh, maybe was helpful to you. Yeah, it is. It is rather strange. And it's almost circuitous when you talk, when you think about it, because um, I think the reasons that I started the business that I have now are the same reasons that I got into interior design, whatever, 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. So I was really creative and I really liked art but I wanted to make a living. So, and I didn't feel like I was talented enough to make a good living as an artist. So I was like, okay, what is a degree that I can do that can use this creativity and problem solving and maybe actually be able to make a career out of it? So the University of Florida had a really great interior design program. It's interiors, architecture and building construction. So it's really integrated, which was pretty critical um, to learning all sides of that business. And then I graduated in 2010 with an interior design degree. And, you know, as those of us of a certain age can remember, that was not a great year to be working or graduating college. 
the economy was terrible and we were in DC and there was no interior design commercial spaces being built out at all. And they had just laid off hundreds, dozens, thousands of people in the field with a lot more experience than me. So I worked for less than nothing because I had an unpaid internship where I had to pay for parking for a while. And then I worked for- No, no parking reimbursement, huh? No, no. That's Georgetown oh. for you, man. Parking is so, so expensive over there. Um, but it was good experience. And thankfully, Nate was in the army, so we could pay our bills. And I did some retail stuff on the side to kind of make ends meet. But um, yeah, I just kept at it. I mean, I applied to over 100 commercial interiors jobs. I still have the Excel spreadsheet just to prove to myself, like, this is persistence. You know, you have to apply to these. I called them all. I followed up. It was challenging. Um, and then I worked for another interiors firm that actually was really exciting. I worked on projects where this woman was brilliant and she um, did did projects that ended up on the front of Veranda Magazine. And I was able to participate in like house beautiful photo shoots. It was really cool. It was really cool, but um, hopefully she's not listening. She was a little bit crazy, a little crazy. Um, so after a year of putting myself through the ringer with her, um, my husband was like, if this was a relationship, you would have broken up months ago. <laughs> Why are you putting up with this abusive behavior? Um, and I was like, good point. Okay, I'm out. Um, and you know, it's, it's almost like this happens at many different points in my life. When I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know it's not this. Um, two weeks later, I got a call from a company that I had interviewed with a year before. They did not hire me uh, originally. They were like, we made a mistake. We should have hired you. And that was when I got into furniture sales. So I don't know if many entrepreneurs go into their careers being like, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to work the next 10 years to get there. But for me, I sort of accidentally ended up in it. And then I loved it. I just adored the connections with people, problem solving, creating designs where the actual user is impacted. And if we can create a physical environment where people can be really effective at work, I think they're happier and more productive overall, which adds to the bottom line of that business and that person's happiness. So yeah, it's nice when you that. can do something you're you're you want to do that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to do jobs that yeah. you don't necessarily want to do, right? Um, but let me go back to that. That was an interesting comment that your husband made. If this was a relationship, you would have mm -hmm. broken up months ago. Why is it that so many people do you think stick with jobs? I mean, is it simply like this is the livelihood? They're a little afraid to leave, um, but they maybe may not be happy there. And like you said, like in this particular situation, you were dealing mm -hmm. with somebody who was, you know, a little crazy, maybe, maybe, maybe didn't make you feel well. Maybe you were anxious about going to work every day. You would have definitely ended it if it was a relationship. It was so bad, but you kept the job. What is it about it that we keep, we keep the job? I mean, I can't speak for everybody. I can just speak for myself, but for me, it was, uh, I'm extremely stubborn. So I think once I decided that this was going to help me get where I wanted to go, I just felt like I had to stick it out and I had to 
you know, keep showing up at work every day. And yeah, it was tough. I like sat in the car and played specific songs to psych myself up <laughs> to go into work. Um, but I also think that people are just afraid of the unknown. I mean, it's human nature. We don't, if we give up what we have, we don't know what's going to be next. And that's more scary sometimes than sticking with, you know, the not great situation that you're currently in. The other thing that I thought was interesting about your story early on, when it was a, you said it was a really horrible economy around 2010, uh, people were actually getting laid off in the field you wanted to enter. Mm -hmm. Yet you were so persistent. You put together, first of all, you called like over a hundred. I don't know how many you applied yeah. for over a hundred jobs. That's mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And to keep track of it, you put it in a spreadsheet mm -hmm. and you made follow-up calls. I imagine maybe follow-up emails. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of young people coming out of high school or college today and they're going into the workforce and they're very frustrated. There's a lot of jobs, maybe not there anymore. Maybe the career field they wanted to go into, uh, maybe it's a tough economy. There's a lot of inflation at the moment. Um, you know, who knows what the situation is, but they're, they're not getting the kind of jobs they want. What can you advice that you can impart on them? What can you say to them if they're listening right now? That's such a great question. Actually, a, a young gentleman that's graduating from CU Boulder asked me this recently, but it, it, you know, he's graduating from college similar. Um, I think there's a couple things. One, I wish that I had known back then that the vast majority of jobs that people get, they get through networking. They don't really get them through applying online. So I wish that I had known that because I would have put all that time and effort into going to industry events and, and really networking and investing time in the relationships with people that were going to be able to hire at some point. So there's that. The other thing is, I don't think that we need to be quite as rigid super early on in our careers in taking specific jobs that we think lead us to our desired outcome, because so much of our early career phase should be exploring what we're good at and what really lights us on fire and what we're passionate about so that we can find our niche earlier in life that'll lead us to more success and happiness long term. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I that's I think building relationships and networking and it's who you know a lot of times in life, right? And it's people that you know you become part of their mindful network. You know, uh, maybe you don't even know, but you made an impression on someone. You, you've now created relationships with them, and they're willing to. Maybe they're just they see something come up and they think of you. Oh, let mm -hmm. me give let me give Esther a call because I know she's in that field. She was very bright. She was very personable. She's obviously a hard worker. She's persistent. Let's uh, let's give let's give her uh, the the connection so maybe she can get that job. So Esther, um, speaking of, so obviously you guys moved to Colorado. You've mm -hmm. had three kids since, uh, yeah. as you mentioned, under, all three under seven, and the last few years. What were you doing in your career um, uh, during that entire time? And have there been any new developments? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Um, yeah. So for the vast majority of the time that I was in Colorado, I was working as a sales rep for a manufacturing company. 
um, doing for two different manufacturing companies to be precise, doing uh, sales development, really um, working with a dealer network to help their teams develop a sales plan and go after business that we could execute. So being a manufacturer, um, our dealer partners do a lot of the selling on our behalf. So I learned a ton during that time. Obviously it was, you know, eight and a half, nine years where I was working on teams and then ended up leading my own region, which was exciting and fun and a nice, um, change of pace where I was kind of making all the decisions and, and able to um, set the strategy, which was really fun. And then just really helping my business partners and their maybe younger or more green um, salespeople learn the ropes and what works and what doesn't work and really mentoring and coaching um, sales teams across. Originally it was the Rocky Mountain territory. So I had four States. And then by the end it was, um, as the director of sales for the West. So from Colorado to California and yeah. And then, um, you know, on the surface, the last two to three years were great. Sales were going up. I was super connected to my community here. I love my job. I love the team that I worked on. Uh, my business partners specifically here in Colorado are just like part of my family now. Um, and I should have been fulfilled and happy and thrilled. I mean, I have this wonderful husband. We just celebrated our 15 anniversary, 15 year anniversary and these three wonderful children. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, and the kids are great so long as they're not talking and you know, it's, it's awesome. But I kept having this like feeling like I should be feeling stoked. I should be happy and fulfilled. But there was like this little voice, you know, in the back of my head that kept saying, you should be doing more. You, you've learned so much. Like you should be sharing this with the world. You should be contributing more to society. And I was like, shut up. I'm busy. I got responsibilities. Like I can't deal with this right now. Um, but it just kept coming back that like nagging feeling of being called to contribute more to the greater good. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I kept pushing it back for quite a while and, you know, I was having kids and I was doing this or that and, and it was COVID and there was a lot of good excuses that you could write down on the list if, if you're trying to make a list of excuses. But um, what ended up happening was this January, so January 2023, my company was purchased by a private equity firm out of London or out of the UK. Um, and they decided that our firm was more valuable as parts than as the whole. And so I remember it was Friday the 13th in January and they called everybody. That's my birthday. Territory. It's your birthday. January 13th. Yeah. <laughs> and I was also born on a Friday. So That's sorry, awesome. Esther. <laughs> well, no, I, I'll try not to hold it against you. Okay. Cause this was a very dramatic day for me. <laughs> But yeah, January 13th of this year, um, they told my whole team, everybody in the company, we're shutting the business down. You're all free to go. And I was devastated. I mean, I had invested like four years of my life in this organization. I mean, the, the friendships I had with people on our team, you know, they were my battle partners through COVID. Like it was hard. It was a really hard time. 
to be, to be working together. And, um, I just was so disheartened by the whole thing. Um, but after a few days of, you know, licking my wounds, I, um, I really just began thinking like, okay, well now I have no excuses. And it wasn't, I mean, I easily could have gotten a job. Um, I'm well desired in my industry, but that conflict of I should be doing more just amplified after I got let go because I didn't have that steady paycheck to hold me back anymore. I didn't have those, those relationships, those team members that I was responsible to and for, um, to work for anymore. And then over the course of a couple months, I just kept thinking, man, I really want to share what I've learned about business development. I really want to, um, help people develop effective sales strategies. I want to help clients give voice to these change-making companies in the world that are really helping society move forward and solving big problems. Um, and not that what I was doing before wasn't doing that. It was in a way creating an environment where people can contribute and be successful at work. But I had, I had found a bigger vision for my talents and and then I thought about all my responsibilities and my three kids and my husband and my mortgage and my nanny and that they all rely on me. So there was a, there, it was pretty, I was pretty conflicted, but I just had this like strong desire and belief that business needs more human to human connection and that I could help bring that to pass. So I remember, um, one Friday night I was doing some contract work. So I, I had a job um, I had some work to do and I had worked like on a long week and it was Friday night and I sat down, just plopped down at the dinner table. The kids were probably whining and complaining. And I just looked at my husband and I was like, maybe I should just get a job. And he's, he said, I do not want to hear you talking about getting a job ever again. You clearly have to do this business. You will regret it if you do not try and give it your all. And from there, we just, we couldn't look back. I had to go for it. Well, good for him and for to encourage you and also to have a, a husband and a spouse that, you know, was encouraging you and getting behind you and saying, I'm not going to let you fall back on the, let's say the easy thing to do or the normal mm -hmm. thing to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got your back and we're, you're going to do it. So I think that's really great to have a supporting spouse. I also think it's interesting, you know, when I heard your story here about for the last couple of years, you were sort of being called maybe internally to like, you can be mm. doing more that you want to be doing more, but it was finally this push once you, you know, got this layoff in a sense from, from this, yeah. uh, acquisition merger, whatever you want to call it, that pushed you out. Um, and, and it, it was finally the, okay, this is an opportunity to do that. But it's also interesting because you're about, you know, a decade or so into your career. Um, you're also a mother. You also mm -hmm. a, a spouse. You also have three children. They're not, um, they're not in college yet, right? <laughs> they got a ways to go. No. Uh, and so they're young. They're all under seven. And mm -hmm. you know, so I think there's a few things here. One that I'm hearing, and that is, first of all, a lot of young people, a lot of a lot of people 
that are generally just interested in entrepreneurship, sometimes they don't know when the right time is. And honestly, I think even though I have this community, <laughs> Fearless Journeys, where when I first named the community, when I first come, came up with the concept, I the concept was, I, I still kind of say it, it's probably on the website somewhere, you know, a community for aspiring and ascending entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But I've actually kind of walked that back a little bit because one thing I've learned <laughs> is most people probably shouldn't be entrepreneurs or even shouldn't be encouraged to go start their own business like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you need to go out into the workforce, get experience, work for other people, uh, bring, bring you know, build knowledge, build networks, all the things you've done now for a decade or so. And, you know, then after you, now you're now you're kind of an expert, right? Now you're an expert in the field, and I know you're still very young, <laughs> but and it's uh, even even you know when you're looking at things, you know, a couple of years ago I was after doing I don't know fundraising in the nonprofit public policy space for 15 years, I was invited to give a fundraising seminar to other people because I'm an expert at, you know, and yeah. I, was like, I don't feel like, I feel like I'm still <laughs> just learning this, this field when I was, when I was in it. So, mm. um, I felt like, and also, are you telling me I'm old that I'm an expert? <laughs> uh, so, and also it seems like something not humble to say that you're an expert, but in some mm. ways mm-hmm. compared to most of the people in the field. Now, a lot of the people that were coming out of college, like you were, you have so much more expertise that you can mm-hmm. offer them. And you now also see something you can offer the field, something new, something innovative. So again, a lot of people, what you got to be doing, what I really encourage people to do at any time in their life is to build an entrepreneurial mindset. And then when the time is right, like it is for Esther right now, um, you can go out and actually start your own business at possibly at that point. Um, so that's one thing I hear here, and 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 I'll let you respond to that in a second. But the second thing here, I have a lot of people I know um, that are around my age, maybe even a little younger, maybe even a few years older, who are just maybe getting into their careers. Maybe they're midway into the careers, but also they have kids at home, right? Mm-hmm. And it's such a risk in their mind, and maybe rightfully so. Um, to go do something, to go launch a new business when you have a, a spouse and kids that you feel obligated, a responsibility to help raise them and to help provide, you know, some um, resources for. So there's a lot going on in your story that, that involves all of these things. So I just love to hear maybe you respond to some of that. Yeah, I guess I'll start with the entrepreneurial mindset which I think is a great shift. It's a totally great shift because when I look back at my story and there's a lot more chapters that we didn't cover, right? (laughs) Um, That entrepreneurial mindset is something I developed since I was a little kid of just making new friends and trying new things and really never taking no for an answer. Like how how, this problem, this is a problem. Let's solve it. Not um, this is a problem. It's just supposed to be that way. So I totally agree with that. And that takes time and it takes experience and it takes a certain amount of um, emotional and mental maturity. And that's not to say that 17 year olds can't start successful businesses. But in my experience, I had to learn a lot about my industry, my field, about 
really implementing all the business development and sales strategies that I had read and learned about and how to tweak them to specific situations. I mean, when I started out doing this 12 years ago, like I knew nothing, nothing. And so it was really essential for me to spend that, those 10, 12 years learning by doing. Um, and then obviously by reading and learning from other experts, which is critical. But I think the other aspect of it is just preparing your life for this type of a risk. Um, I mean, thankfully, my husband is really smart and he has an MBA. And so on, in years where sales were good, like we started squirreling money away. You know, you, you try to save towards that six months of, of expenses marker that all the financial gurus tell you to save for and then try to save a little bit more just for whatever we might need or come up against. You know, life is really unpredictable, especially when you have a bunch of kids that you're responsible for. So that's been extremely helpful to have all those years to save uh, financially for something like this. But also, I think um, just in my own personal development to have you know, a decade of career to work on myself and, you know, how do I prioritize my time or tasks? How do I, and this is a big one in sales, like how do I recover from failure? How do I reframe my thinking to be more positive or to be more aligned with where I want to be? Um, and that takes a, you know, it takes, intentional effort to and discipline to transform yourself. Um, and all of those things just have paved the way for launching this business and for the challenges, the speed bumps, or, you know, the, the financial investment that we needed to really be comfortable launching this venture. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think, yeah, so, so something else you brought up there that people really need to pay attention to is, and again, this is important when you're starting a business, right, is to have some savings, right? Mm -hmm. So you were able to also get to a point in your life where you and your husband had had been smart over those years, saved, budgeted, um, did well in your careers, and, and had some money set aside so you could have the freedom uh, to be able to go out and launch your own business as well. So I think that's important too. I mean, by the way, Esther, uh, you know, I'm going to plug this here, you know, right. I just wrote this book. The American dream is a terrible thing to waste. And <laughs> you're in it. You're in chapter 14. Um, we had actually talked about um, the conversation. Uh, I write a little bit about the response to COVID, but you know, there's a few things you just said in the last few minutes that, you know, I outlined 10 common characteristics of the entrepreneur in this book. And one of the examples that I already mentioned about in the book about you was that entrepreneurs have to be versatile. They have to be, they have to be able to shift and pivot when the times call for it. The conversation you and I had in the early days of March of 2020 yeah. was talking about pivoting and what mm -hmm. everybody needed to be doing in those moments. But also there's a few other characteristics I, I mentioned that I've learned from you know over 100 different entrepreneurs on this podcast. And that is one that you just said, learn by doing. You said those <laughs> words. That's one of the key things. Something else you said that's also one of my 10 characteristics is that entrepreneurs are intentional. 
about everything they do. And you actually use the word intentional there. So uh, I feel like this is uh, maybe confirmation bias on my part here. I'm just listening (laughs) to you going, yes, you're hitting all the, all the, all the notes here, but, but I think they're so true. And you kind of hear these things over and over again, uh, through many people's stories, uh, including your own. So speaking of, so you launched that business Mm -hmm. in, when did you launch it? It's Esther Davy strategies. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're the chief strategic officer. Am I saying that right? Strategy officer. Who cares? Founder, chief strategist. I'm, I'm Esther. It encompasses all my identities. (laughs) So what, so what is the, so tell me what you do on the daily basis. Mm -hmm. What, why would somebody maybe work with you or hire you? um, And how long you've been at it now? Yeah. um, Well, under this business, I've been at it since January. Um, Crazy story. The day after I got let go, I got a call from some of my business partners um, here in Colorado. And they're like, we want to hire you to help us with our business development strategy. And I was like, this is a thing? Okay, yeah. Um, and they that was great because that was a really contract I needed to take my time, invest in the business, set it up correctly, you know, do do the things, get the federal EIN, all the things that you, you need to have. Um, work on the contracts. Let me ask you something, Esther. Um, yeah. Did they call you because they knew you were available? Is that what it was? They they did. Um, they called me because I, they knew I was available and they were familiar with my work. Yeah. So see, I think that's another thing that people should be listening to your story. This is uh, This is a great example of you have a great reputation. You obviously, you, you brought a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, effort to your work your knowledge and everything. And probably there were people out there. Maybe the, maybe some of these people had already been working with you in your uh, previous role, but mm-hmm. maybe they also were just like, oh, I need her. I just kind of been waiting for somebody like her to be available, right? And 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 they jumped on it because they they saw, you know, that they could they could have a great partner in working with you. So mm-hmm. I just think that's super interesting. But I'll let you continue with your story. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I actually have to plug my friend Rebecca Shetfelt here because she gave me really good advice early on. She said, in the early days, like, don't share your dream with people who aren't going to be supportive. So I, I really took that to heart. So for the first couple months, I when I was setting it up, I you know shared it with friends and family, and um, while I was developing what my services were going to be and how I wanted to go to market really bringing on a couple of mentors that could really invest in me, like Michelle Warren and um, James Press Foster. They've really invested in me, um, Krista Trofka. And I just really leaned on them versus opening my dream up to the whole world to criticize before I really felt solid in what I was going to offer. So that took a couple months. um, And it's Esther Davy Strategies. And so we do business development, sales strategy, and coaching, which sounds super boring. (laughs) So it's not, I swear. Really what we do is we help clients develop an ideal customer that they want to go after, clarify that, create a strategy around how to develop relationships with them, create a customer journey timeline. So a series of touch points or events that a potential client can experience your brand, your company over time that reinforces your brand. And then along the way, we coach and develop and mentor anyone who's involved in selling at your organization. So 
Um, I've been comparing it a lot to a fitness trainer because selling is really overwhelming. And so is like getting into shape and nutrition. I mean, there is so much information out there about how you should work out and what you should eat and what you shouldn't do. Um, and it's super intimidating to try and interpret that in your own specific case, right? Like, is it, am I supposed to do intermittent fasting? Is that going to help me towards my goal? Like, and what is your goal? Is it that you want to live to a hundred? Is it that you want to, you know, climb a 14er? Is it that you want to look killer for your 10 year reunion? And all of those goals have different plans. And so we help clients identify their business growth goals, create a plan to over the course of, you know, six months or a year, what that plan will be like, and then give them all the tactics and tools to really help them achieve it. And then we, we are not consultants that just like drop a stack of paper on someone's desk and say, good luck. See ya. I am super motivated by impact. And so we are there along the way. Every, every month we have calls with our clients to make sure things are going well, that they're able to implement it. If they have any questions, we're available for questions via email or calls. Um, because you know, a trainer is not going to say, here's your plan. Good luck. I'll talk to you at the end of the year when you're, you know, at your 10 year reunion. Like, no, they're there in the gym with you at 5 a.m. Making sure that you know yeah. how to do the deadlift and that you're motivated to do the squats and that when things aren't working, they can help shift the strategy with you. So that's that's our approach. Um, I think it's pretty unique because either there's sales training programs that try and change the individual or there's sales plans that kind of force a structure on a company. But let's be real, like every company is different and every leader or sales team has their own skills. And I really think that to be effective, business development has to be authentic to who you are as an individual and the values that you offer as a company and approachable enough that people will actually do it. Because if I create a plan for you and you're like, that's great, but I'm not going to do it. It doesn't work. <laughs> so it has to be something that people will actually achieve. That's great. I love the, 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 the situation there uh, comparing yourself to a, uh, a, fitness <laughs> a fitness trainer. trainer. Yeah. I think that's a really great, because like you said, I mean, you could be, you could be walking into a, just a, you know, the big box gyms that we're all used to and it's, there's all the equipment. Good luck. Right. But to be able to actually hire a trainer that says, Hey, what are your goals? How fast do you want to get there? All these things. And that's exactly what you're trying to do to help businesses, you know, take themselves to the next level, reach, uh, reach new customers, sell new things. Uh, so what kinds of businesses, is it for-profit, non-profit, small, large, medium, uh, what types of businesses, you know, have you worked for, or you ideally want to work and partner with? And maybe if you'd like, you know, feel free to give us an example of one that you've done some work with. Yeah. Um, in my past life, I've worked with up to, you know, a couple hundred million dollar organizations to help with their business development strategies. Um, in this organization, you know, under Esther Davy strategies, it's mostly been like small to medium sized companies. So anywhere from like eh, maybe like 5 million to 25 million at the moment. And I hate to put kind of revenue around it because it's not when you're talking about sales and business development strategy, it's really more about your marginal cost and whether it makes sense to invest in additional revenue and what, again, what your growth goals are. And so for like a, 
contractor that has this huge, huge, huge general contractor, huge sales number, but their you know, gross profit margins less than 5%, we're going to have to increase their revenue a lot to make it worth their investment. Whereas, you know, a mid-sized company is probably a little bit of a better fit. And part of the reason why, um, so here's some facts as around, you know, what I consider an ideal client would be small to mid-sized companies where, you know, their marginal cost is lower than average. So that it makes sense for them to invest really motivated to grow or at least to expand their client track record. Cause back to the fitness trainer analogy, like, I can show you how to lift the weights, but you still have to lift the weights. <laughs> you, you still have to do the work to get the result. Um, so there has to be sort of an innate desire to want to grow or to diversify your client book, or there can be, that could be interpreted in different ways, what growth means. But, and then um, my favorite type of client is sort of the reluctant seller. So that could be, it could be, you know, an entrepreneur, it could be leaders, it could be um, a project team that their leadership has told them like, hey, you're also somewhat responsible for client relationship management or for bringing in work. And they're like, um, uh, that's not my job. Like, I don't know how to do that. No one's ever taught me how to sell. I don't really know what I'm doing. How do I like, hey, can you reach out to that person? I've had clients tell me this, like, my boss told me to reach out to this person. I don't know what to do. Help me. Yeah. So th those are my favorite kind of clients to work with. Um, right now, I am working with three different organizations and have room for a few more in my in my schedule. Um, one is uh, Merchants Office Furniture. I've been working with them for over four years. Um, they found a lot of value in what I was doing as business partners with them in the past. And so they wanted to continue in this capacity, which is just a wonderful vote of support from them. And I adore their team. They're a family owned business um, that does office furniture design installation in, well, nationwide actually. So if you need office furniture, contact me and I'll connect you with merchants. <laughs> um, the second one that was really fun, I'm working with um, the town of Erie on a project that they put out with, um, I have two partners on that one. So working with another consulting company called Uplift Collaborative, and they're two brilliant, amazing women. Um, and we're working on a project for the town of Erie to do a feasibility study for um, an incubator focusing on minority founders in their town. And so I was brought on board to help with the um, growth strategy side and then also the physical environment because that's my background. That's great. Is that Erie, Pennsylvania or is there an Erie in Colorado? Erie, Colorado. Oh, wow. Okay. You can swing by there on the way to your brother's house. It's in the neighborhood. Okay. Oh, mm -hmm. very nice. And then um, lastly, I one of the women in my network is an entrepreneur and she um, runs a a project management firm. So she's um, asked me if I would help her with her strategy. So it really stretches the gamut, but um, I think that clients that would like to grow, that would like some structure around it, but that want somebody to really work with them and invest in them as a team and as a person to create something that's really tailored and effective for them specifically. 
That's great. Well, you know, it's funny. I was I, I serve on a nonprofit. I won't name which one right now. Uh, but uh, we were on a board call last week, and mm-hmm. one of our board members, who actually serves as our chairman right now, um, he was saying how he's great. He loves the organization. He loves talking about, but he's not a fundraiser. So he, you know, mm-hmm. he was basically saying that wasn't his thing. But then it's funny. Then on the call, proceeded to then ask somebody for something he was doing on the weekend with some other charity. And then like, we're like, I think you, I think you actually could sell pretty well, you know, uh, <laughs> I think, but I think sometimes people, they do need a little bit of coaching to mm-hmm. understand, Hey, um, like for example, he's super passionate about this organization, but just needs to kind of be taught the few steps that just go from talking about it to just asking for it. You know, the, his thing was, I don't like asking for money mm-hmm. by the way. I didn't like asking for money um, and somebody said I should go into fundraising for <laughs> part of the same thing. They said, you're so passionate about this organization. We could use you on the development side. And I must have turned them down many, many times. Any, all the ask, I'm not a fundraiser. I don't ask for money. I don't do these mm-hmm. things. Well, I ended up going into fundraising for about 15 mm-hmm. years. So, mm-hmm. and I would never say that I was like a pro at asking for money either. Um, but it's just part of the equation that you do. And, and anyway, we can go and, yeah. and talk about that for a long time. Totally. But I think, I, that, I think, I think <laughs> my bad. I think that um, a lot of people feel really icky about asking for money or selling in general. It it's it's almost villainized a little bit in our culture, which is super sad because I think the latest statistic is like one out of five people in America are involved in sales in some capacity. And so it's a really essential um, part of life, whether you're negotiating with your spouse for where to eat that night or trying to get your parents on board with making your kids wear life jackets. You know, like, there's yeah. a lot of influence that we have to do in life. And this is just another aspect of it. And I think that's why some of my favorite clients are folks that have that attitude. And then when they get to understand that it's really more about like, how do you tell a story that people can connect with? How do you create an internal structure that reminds you to connect with potential clients in a really authentic way? And what, what, what does authentic mean to you? Like for me, that could be, you know, going to a ball game and like watching the Rockies lose, or it could be, you know, to somebody else hiking, or it could be just taking someone to lunch. Like it, everyone has their own style of influence and we all have talents there. We just have to uncover them. Yeah. And you know, like pretty much all of us are in sales at some level. Um, and uh, you know, it's just, it's anything you're doing, you're selling yourself. You mentioned it earlier. You, when you first came out of college and like many of us have to do many times throughout our life, we have to put together a resume. We have to go on an interview. That whole process is selling yourself. What, yeah. Why should this company invest their time and resources by hiring you? Uh, tell me why, right? So um, you have to, it's, it's the art of persuasion. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the greatest books that I read early in, actually it was probably a few years in my fundraising career, someone gave this book to me, but it's really great for sales. And you're probably going to know what I'm say, going to say, but it's Influence by Robert Cal- uh, Caldini, C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I. And yeah. It's the subtitle is the psychology of persuasion. And it's so good just learning how to persuade 
And there's so many other, you know, great persuasion books out there as well, but it all revolves around selling. Uh, so that's, uh, that's an important yeah. concept. And that's something that you at Esther Davies Strategies comes in and helps people do among many other things. It's interesting that you mentioned selling yourself a couple times, because I've definitely put that down as a potential service offering later in development. Because one of the first things that I did during this, and it, I, I mean, this is just for a friend of mine, he was going after a CEO position and um, he had been at the same organization for 14 years. So he had not interviewed or put a resume together or really thought about how to sell himself in a long time. And so we, we did this like three hour, you know, workshop brainstorming session together, which really gave him a lot of clarity on what really matters to him and what he has to offer and that confidence to go for it. And you know what? He got the job. So there you go. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> when well, that's, I'm, when that's I'm a... done building out the uh, team and all the other organizational structure, maybe I can add that as a service. I think that's a great service. A lot of people could definitely use it. Well, Esther, this has been an amazing conversation with you. I'm so proud of you that you stayed fearless on your fearless journey. Um, and speaking of which, uh, we have an announcement here to make. Um, so when we created the Fearless Journeys community a couple years ago, um, you know, I invited a lot of uh, great entrepreneurs. Uh, I think almost all had been on my podcast at some point uh, to join the community as a featured innovator so others could learn. And so one of the things some of the featured innovators do is lead some online group coaching sessions, maybe lead some of our book club calls, uh, maybe even come on a group trips with with uh, with some of our fellow travelers. And so I've invited you and you've accepted the offer to be a, a featured innovator in the Fearless Journeys community. So I just wanted to say welcome aboard. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be considered and to be welcomed to the community. I mean, I checked out every single profile on your your page and everyone's seems so amazing and accomplished and just brings a different perspective and lived experience to the team. And I'm so stoked to be able to integrate and to contribute and to learn from the rest of the community. I just know it's going to be so enriching to my life. And so, yes, thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm sure for a lot of people, for me, it's like, oh, imposter syndrome. Why am I, why do I deserve to be, you know, listed with all of these great folks, but back to having the mental mindset of being able to overcome those negative thoughts. I think, you know, that's something we all struggle with. Well, I hope that people listening or watching if they're, if they're on YouTube uh, here can be inspired by your story and also understand that, you know, these types of things don't happen overnight. You know, there was a uh, many years of life, many lived experiences and, you then also needed the courage to take those steps. And mm -hmm. you also, you know, as mm -hmm. I like to preach, it says they're fearless journeys, but as I like to say, no one takes a journey alone. And yeah. you obviously have a great husband, other support around you. You had people that reached out to you, you know, within maybe hours or days after mm -hmm. they knew you were available uh, to actually <laughs> work with. So I think it shows there's so much here about your story that I hope will inspire others. Um, and also, uh, I think, you know, once you we have you on a, uh, one of these group coaching sessions, 
Uh, people who are members of the Fearless Journeys community can, can benefit from that. And if people don't know how to join that, by the way, just go to fearlessjourneys.org. And the easiest thing to do is just start by subscribing to the free newsletter. But you can also join uh, the community as a member and take one of our fun group trips too. But um, Esther, one of the things we also try to do, um, you know, obviously I've done some great international group trips, like do some Fearless Journeys trips to Guatemala mm-hmm. and Uruguay and Argentina. Did one to Nashville. Yeah. Do you allow kids? Around... Can I can I bring three yeah. plus? <laughs> plus? We do. Seven. We'll make we'll make exceptions. I've I've even I've even um, talked to others who have young families like yourself and said at some point I'm going to need to design a Fearless Journeys for families uh, group mm. trip. So um, and maybe we can we can invite some um, some of the grandparents to or or, or <laughs> bring on some nannies. Yeah, to babysit <laughs> during a few hours of the day when. Oh, you have you to have a nanny. Go... <laughs> yeah. Our nanny is amazing. Yeah. So, uh, oh, we could bring your nanny. Um, so anyway, but the uh, other thing I wanted to mention is we get around the, I get around the country. Um, and mm-hmm. when I'm doing that, um, I try to bring people together, especially where I see clusters of good people. And, you know, last year I was visiting, I had plans to go visit my brother in Colorado. And then I, I was like, oh, um, actually my high school best friend, Sean Gross, he's been on this podcast and he's, um, you know, also featured innovator in the community. I said, okay, so Sean's out there. My friend, Bob Rubin, who lives down here in South Florida, he was actually working remote from Vail for two months. So I said, oh, I can get Sean together and Bob together. And then I started going, oh, there's a couple other people who have been on my (laughs) podcast that live in Denver, including Esther, um, and a few others. So we got like five or six of my previous podcast guests together for dinner. And then I said, oh, maybe I should invite some other people. So we ended up having like 13, 14 people for dinner. And it was, um, where were we again? The Buckhorn Exchange? Is that the name of it? I think so. That was the first time I'd ever been there. It was, it was an experience for sure. The oldest restaurant in Denver, Colorado. Uh, several presidents have eaten there mm-hmm. as far back as Teddy Roosevelt. And so it was a fun. And there was um, all different kinds of meat, including Rocky Mountain oysters. Uh, so <laughs> there's, for those who want to know what that is, you can go Google it if, go you, Google if it. you don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think but, I've uh, read like half of the books that the different um, guests recommended around that table. That's was- amazing. It's a lot. It was yeah, what, a, I mean, I love reading, but it was um, really good recommendations from the team. It's You can just tell how insightful everybody is. That's awesome. Yeah. So we try to do some fun things like that. So kind of a conversation starter was we went around the table and asked everybody to recommend a book. For some of them, it was a book that was like a long-term, deeply impactful book. For others, it was like the book they were reading right now. Um, so then what we did is we circulated um, a list of the books to everybody right after the dinner. So I'm glad to hear you probably are the champion of the entire dinner table. I, I mean, I'm sure that somebody, <laughs> you know, most people probably picked up one book, um, but uh, but it's really great. And that's and that's what I like about this community and, and about community in general, right? And that's that you can learn from others. Um, and, and Esther, you mentioned to me at some other point, I'm not sure it was on the podcast here, about one of your great assets is 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 um, bringing people together in community as well. Can you just tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, yeah. I think this is. I mean, it, com- it comes from my really early childhood of being involved in the military community and just seeing how valuable 
it is to have people outside of your immediate family that support you and connect to you and um, are there for you and, and also bring different skill sets and assets to, to the community to, and to, you know, a challenge. And um, then having moved so many times in my life, like community is just so critical to me. And so I developed some pretty fast skills of like, my mother tells this story. Um, the day we moved to Marietta, Georgia, I was, I think five and a half, maybe six. And they were unboxing things and I was really bored by unpacking. So I did not want to do that. So I just walked myself down to the neighbors who had kids out front. And I said, I'm Esther. Can we be friends? <laughs> and that just continued throughout my whole life of trying to build those connections quickly because I didn't have much time in one place or another. And now that we've been here almost 10 years, um, I think one of my greatest accomplishments is just building the network and the community and contributing to the community here locally. And then it extends obviously nationally to, to people like you out there in Florida and um, all across the U S but I think just not having those roots growing up really emphasized to me how important it is. And so when I got to be involved and really established, it was such a huge goal. Yeah, that's great. Well, Esther, thanks for all you do and keep building that community. If people want to connect with you or reach you, how's, how can they best find you? Yeah, you can look us up on the website. So it's estherdavy.com. That's E-S-T-H, silent H, E-R, D-A-V-Y.com. Great. And I'll put some of that information in the show notes as well. So if people are watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify, Apple, wherever you happen to be listening. And also one thing I always encourage people to do, uh, hopefully you were inspired by, by Esther and her story. Uh, if you want other people to be inspired, share this episode with them. Uh, and of course, subscribe to the podcast for future episodes and, uh, and all that. So thank you so much, Esther, um, for, for being with us here. Once again, on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Francisco, and just putting out such great work into the world. Thank you. Thank you.